subject of my sermon today is it starts at home, all right? And this is my, uh, this is actually my house up here, okay? And uh, Danica kind of uh, configured the picture up here. This is my house. It starts at home. And I want to go off the series of it starts here. I love, love, love the series, the theme of it starts here in Port Washington first. Before we go out to Africa, before we go to Asia, before we go to South America, it starts in your house. It starts in your home. It starts here in Port Washington, in our community first. Okay, so, uh, and yes, uh, that's going to be our scriptures here uh, that we're going to be looking at, our main scripture that we're going to be looking at, 2 Timothy 1.7. But I remember as a young pastor, I was working at a church in Texas, worked at a church in Texas, Abilene, Texas, for six years. It was a church uh, less than two miles away from uh, an Air Force base. And so there was a lot of transition, a lot of um, military families, a lot of broken families that would come in and out of our church. It was a fantastic church. It was called New Hope Church, and we loved our time there. But I remember one day, um, a young man who was in the Air Force, he called up uh, the church. Uh, he was married into a blended family, and I remember talking him into staying into his marriage. He was saying, hey, I want to get out. I can't handle this anymore. I just can't do it. And he had, they had two young girls in the home. They weren't his. And I was like, no, no, man, you got to stay there. And I remember having a conversation, just being exhausted that day talking to him. And I remember uh, receiving a phone call of a frantic mother in Texas who wanted my ex- assistance in explaining to her two young daughters that her that their father, it wasn't her husband, it was her uh, boyfriend, unfortunately, but it was um, their, her daughter's father, or her two daughters' father, uh, she wanted my assistance in explaining to them that her father, their father was in jail, probably going to spend the rest of his life in prison for the murder of another man. And I remember getting another phone call of a, of a man who was an alcoholic, and he, he, he was kind of in the same situation as the first man that I just talked about. And he explained to me how he was done with his marriage too. And, and his, his wife was done with him. And his kids wanted him out because he couldn't stop drinking. He couldn't stop going back to the bottle. And I explained to him and I, and I begged him. I said, stay at home. Stop drinking. You've got to stop drinking. You've got to stop doing this. And we would later see him enter Teen Challenge and go through the program. And unfortunately, he had already done the damage to his body. And a few years later, he died of liver poisoning. And, uh, liver, I'm sorry, liver failure. And I remember a young uh, woman coming into our office in Texas. And she was crying hysterically. And she couldn't handle it. She, just, she had just come from uh, the woman who she was a caretaker for, for. She was a relative of the woman. And she had walked in, um, and she was the first one to discover her body after she committed suicide. And this woman, was she was hysterical. She couldn't drive, and the church was the closest place that she could enter. And she came into our church, and the pastor's wife and myself, we counseled her, and we ended up taking her to her husband. Those four situations all happened one Friday morning before I had lunch. Okay? Now, I've never had a Friday morning or a, or, or a week, honestly, like that since. But I remember driving home thinking, is this ministry? Is this what it's like? I can't believe it. Now, I'm sure that every single one of you have 
a, a story like that. I have stories like that in my own family, in my own extended family, right? And maybe some of you have come from situations similar to that. But I remember thinking, Lord, is this the, how it is? Is this ministry? And you know what? It is sometimes. And sometimes ministry is very bleak. Sometimes ministry is very disturbing and it, it can be difficult. Like those four situations. I was exhausted. I was also hungry that day. So I was very hungry that day. But I was exhausted emotionally and mentally thinking, Lord, can I do this? Now, I wouldn't explain those situations. I try to be very generic and, and, and whatnot. And that was over 10 years ago that those situations happened to me on that one Friday morning. And I believe it was 2005. But God can take our darkest situations. And I remember thinking, you know, if individuals had done things differently in these situations, things wouldn't have turned out like this. You know, if if people had just sought God, things wouldn't have happened like this for these for these four individuals. Now, sometimes obviously bad things happen. Right. And we all know that. And you can seek God and you can be close to God and still bad stuff happens. And we all know that. But as a Christian, I want to talk to you today, and it starts at home, yes, but when you're a Christian, you are a disciple of Christ, right? You are being discipled by Jesus, you're being discipled by those who follow Christ, but when you sign up to be a Christian, you're also a discipler of somebody, too, okay? Because we don't just sign up and say, we're going to be, we're going to disciple, we also sign up and we say, we're going to disciple somebody, okay? And that's what I want to talk about. Today And it starts at home means it starts in our home first. Evangelism, mentorship, discipleship, it begins first and foremost at home. Second Timothy 1.7 says, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. And I want to, this is the main scripture I want to look at today. I don't want to look at these three words. Okay, I want to look at the, the word power, and I want to look at the word love, and I want to look at the word self-discipline. But before, I want to look, before we look at those words, I want to talk to you about Timothy, the man that Paul is writing this scripture to. Okay, He's writing a letter to Timothy, who is a pastor, a very young pastor of the church in Ephesus. And in this... He opens up and he describes, um, you, we get a little picture of who Timothy is in this verse, all right? And the cool thing about this family dynamic, Timothy's family, is they practiced Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. And so first of all, I want to go back and I want to look at the Old Testament verses, Deuteronomy 6, verses 5 through 9. And that, um, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn it up, but it's also on the screen up here. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and all, with all of your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. I brought with me today a book, and it's um, the same, same title as my sermon. It starts at home. I kind of accidentally did that. I read this book about four or five months ago when I met Pastor Mark, and it just was, it was very impressed upon my heart. Um, if you are a parent, if you're a grandparent, uh, if you have 
if you're a discipler, I want pick this book up. It's ten bucks at Home Point, and if you don't have the ten bucks, just pick it up and read it. Seriously, if you haven't read this book, it's a good book, and it's all about this verse, Deuteronomy six five through nine, impressing the word of God upon your children. I also brought with me um, brought with me this right here. This is a this is a little box. And I know it's uh, maybe a little hard to see, but this little box right here, um, if, you're a, a Jew, if you're a Jew, what you would do is you would take this and you would, you would put this on the door frame of your house. Okay? In fact, um, in doing my research on these, they, most Jews put them on every door frame of their houses. Okay? According to this scripture right here of Deuteronomy chapter 6, all right? because they literally take scripture and, and the rabbi writes... Part of the Torah, okay, onto scripture, or onto, you know, some, some paper, and they put it into this box, and I, I can't open it, so I won't open it, I don't want to, and then you put this on the doorframe of your home if you're Jewish. Why? Because you're saying, we are going to impress this upon our children. We want it, the, the scriptures to be on the doorframe of our house, alright? And I thought about it, you know, what we have, and we don't do it enough, we have scriptures at the beginning of our house where uh, I have ten scriptures where I said family rules, scripture verses, okay, for our kids. And some mornings before they go out to school, I say, hey, let's read number three or let's read number seven. All right? And I believe that's really what this verse is talking about. Getting your kids to memorize scriptures. And one of the things I see, you know, a lot of Christians do, obviously, is to have verses with scriptures and po- putting those those picture frames of verses by the doors, right? So you're seeing those scriptures as you leave a home or as visitors leave your home, they see these scriptures. It's a good idea to do. It's, it's again, it's coming back to this Deuteronomy chapter 6, uh, these verses here. But the family, Timothy's family, understood the importance of Deuteronomy, okay? Because now I want to go back and I want to look at the New Testament, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, it says, I've been reminded of your sincere faith. This is, again, Paul talking to Timothy, writing a verse to Timothy, which first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice. And I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is through you by laying on of hands for God, did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. Discipline. Lord Jesus, we just thank you so much for this time, God. I pray right now, as we look to your word, God, that you would penetrate every single heart here, God. God, that you would help every single one of us to understand that we, because we are Christians, because we love you, that we are to disciple others, that we are to pour into others, Lord. And we thank you so much, God, for your word that teaches us and that changes us, Lord Jesus, in your precious holy name, amen. So looking at these verses, what most people don't um, look at when they look at, oh, they think, oh, great, you know, the mother of Timothy was a strong Christian. The grandmother of Timothy was a strong Christian. There's no reference to a father here. There's no reference to a grandfather here. Okay, which means in my uh, 
there's a few things that could have happened here. There's a possibility that maybe the father died. I mean, the father could have run out. I doubt it. But the father could have died. Or the father may not have been a believer. I don't know. Something is happening here for Paul to say, Hey, Timothy, you took up the faith of your mother and you took up the faith of your grandmother. A lot of times single moms think, you know what? I, my kids can't grow up and be, you know, all that they could be if I didn't, you know, had a father in the home. Guess what? That's a lie. Okay? Because if they follow, if the mother or the father, if it's a single father situation or if it's a grandparent situation, if you're following Jesus with your whole heart and you're leading your kids in that, guess what? There could be a guy out there named Paul, okay, who's a great pillar in the faith who says, I want to, I want to mentor this guy up. This guy has some potential. And that's exactly what happened in this situation. Okay? Because by the time that Paul has discovered Timothy, okay, Paul is ready to go into ministry. Okay? His mother, Timothy's mother and Timothy's grandmother did their job and they did their job well. Despite whatever ever happened to the father. Now we all know that the perfect scenario is a mother and a father in a home loving each other. But we also know that reality is that's not every situation, unfortunately. That's not every case. And it's okay. I'm just saying it's okay when it's not. Jesus fills in the cracks. Okay? God is known as the Father, right? He is our Father. He will fill in those places. I want to set an example too. It's not just, it's great, great, great to have parents, a mom and a dad who's following Jesus, leading their kids in that example. But you know what? There's also a place for the church. Now, as a family, the church is a supplement to my kids. I, I like to call it a supplement, right? Because when I bring my kids to church, they're hearing other people talk about God's word. You know what that does, mom, dad? That reinforces what you're saying at home. In fact, as a kids pastor, for many, many times I've heard parents say, you know what? I've been saying that same thing to my kids. But when you said it, they got it. Okay. It's all right. Who cares who they get it from, right? Really, it's probably mom, dad saying it all these times. And the one time I say it, they're like, oh, yeah, yeah. And they wake up and they hear it, right? You know what? Same thing with us. And my kids are from a pastor's home. So it's even more important. My littlest harmony right now is she's in kids church and I'm not there. I love that. On Wednesday nights, Harold and Amy and uh, Josh and Lark and Greg and Travis, and, and I might be missing some leaders, they're leading Kids Club. They're leading Harmony. And they're saying the same things I say. All right? Because they're, they're pulling it from the same Bible, right? They're pulling it from the Word of God. In middle school, I've got, um, I've got two leaders. I, I lead middle school, but I've got two leaders that do a fantastic job in middle school. I've got Aaron, and I've got Miss Steph back doing Pro Presenter, which she helped me with Pro Presenter. Thank you so much. You did an awesome job, Steph. But they also reinforce what I'm saying to my kids. Okay? Hannah is going into high school. And she's going to get Pastor Mitch and Miss Amy. And she's going to be hearing from them. And I'm, I'm sure she's excited to hear from someone else besides her parents. And I'm cool with that. Because I want someone else preaching the Word of God to my kids. Okay? I want other people telling her, uh, telling them, the same stuff that I've been telling them. Because that just reinforces that. That's why it's so extremely important. Bring your family to church. Bring your kids to church. 
Because you can say it all day long. But there's just something about, and it's important for you to say it all day long. Don't get me wrong. But it's important for other people to be saying the same thing. God has given the, three, the believer three spiritual powers to live out at home. And I want to talk about these three spiritual powers today. Deriving it from first, or second Timothy, verse, or chapter one, verse seven. First of all, it's the spirit of power. The spirit of power, it, hap- it starts at home. And the word power in Greek, I, I, I like to get into the Greek and I like to get into the Hebrew because I think we can learn so much more about um, God's word when we look at the original uh, words, the original language. God has given us the spirit of power. It starts at home. The Greek word here is dunamis. Okay? You're like, why does that matter? Well, let me tell you why it matters. Dunamis comes from the same exact word that we get our word dynamite from. Okay? So anytime someone says dynamite, that's dynamite, right? Or that's powerful, that's what it means. Okay? Is it means explosive. It means it blows up. It means it's powerful. It's big. However, there's this guy that was, uh, was born in probably a little over 100 years ago. His name's Alfred Nobel. Alfred Nobel, alright, experimented with, um, chemicals. He was a chemical engineer. And he experimented with, experimented with nitrogen and, um, other chemicals to develop explosives. He was an engineer and he, de- he, he paved roads basically. Okay. It was his family's business. And he developed explosives, dynamite, to make Okay, bridges and roads and, and tunnels. And of course, they took this same explosive material and they started using it for war. Russia actually started, they hired him and, and they used it for war. All right? And that, we, of course, when we think of a stick of dynamite, we think of explosive for war. We don't think of building a uh, road, but that's you know, also what it's used for a lot of times, right? This same guy, Alfred Nobel, by the way, understood power and he understood at the end of his life that what he did for war was he, he did a lot of good things, but some bad things happened too. Okay? And what happened was Alfred Nobel at the end of his life said, had a lot of money. And he said, you know what? I'm going to take this money and I'm going to put it in a fund. It was a few years before he passed away. And he said, I want them to start giving out prizes for bettering our world. And of course, we know that as the Nobel Peace Prize. And so the guy who set up the funds and developed the Nobel Peace Prize, Alfred Nobel, is also the same individual who developed and invented um, dynamite, explosives as we know it. It was like at the end of his life, he understood that true change was not about explosions and, 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 and destruction, but it was about change. It was about peace. I don't think he was a Christian. I don't think he truly understood but we as Christians can understand what true power is. Acts 1.8 says, And you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be my witnesses, first to Jerusalem, then to Judea, and to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Okay? Power is good. But you know what? If you want the power for the Holy Spirit to just better your life, even to better your spiritual life, yes, it betters your spiritual life. That's not what it's for. Power is to be a witness. The power of the Holy Spirit is given to us first and foremost so we can use it for others. All right? It's like Nobel, uh, Alfred Nobel understood that part of power at the end of his life. 
The true power is not all about explosions and dynamics and stuff for, for yourself. It's, it's about changing for other people and, cha- and helping other people change. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2.4, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Real power comes only through the Holy Spirit. We lead in power as we pray with our families and for others. When we study the Word together with our families and then do what it says, it's the grace of God that gives us the power over the enemy. The second thing I want to look at that's in this verse in 2 Timothy 1.7 is God has given us a spirit of love. Now, there was a message at the beginning of our service, and that's what it was all about. And I thought that was actually pretty cool. It was all about unconditional love. Because you see, as American speaking in English language, we don't understand love. All right? It gets... We, we say, I love pizza, and I do, I love pizza. I love ice cream. I love my kids. I love my wife. I love God. We use the same word for everything. Okay? And in the Greek, it actually has this broken down into four types of loves. Okay? So there's actually, in the Bible, there's four, there's four different types of Greek words for love that could be used here. And the first one is eros, okay? And that's the romantic love. So think erotic, right? When you fall in love with someone, you're like, oh, I love him so much. I can't. I just want to text him all day and, eat, you know, whatever, right? That's erotic love. And guess what? That's the weakest form of love out there. Because guess what happens? After a while, well, I don't know. The feeling's not there anymore, okay? After... After a year of marriage, man, this marriage is tough. After five years of marriage, oh, are you kidding me? I can't stand that person. Where's the feeling at? Right? And this is why Hollywood actors, they get married and they get unmarried very quickly, right? They get married and divorced very quickly because they don't understand the concept of love. Because we watch movies and it's just all feelings. It's all butterfly and rainbows and lollipops and fun stuff. And then the feeling fades. It's the weakest form of love. Okay, it's the poorest form of love. We need it, right? We need it to fall in love with our spouse. And it's, a, it's good. God created it, so don't get me wrong here. But it's weak. The next kind of love is philea. Okay? It's the brotherly love. Okay, when someone says, hey, I love you, brother. Right? And the, the, the way you can remember this love is the city of Philadelphia is actually named after this. Okay, they want to be known as the city of brotherly love. I don't think they are, okay? They're probably like the opposite now, right? But you can remember it that way, okay? The next form of the Greek word is storge, okay? And that's a parental love. The way I remember this love is the stork brings the baby, right? So you love your kids, okay? And this, what's kind of cool is this looks a little bit more like the agape love because your kids, they could do anything and everything and you'll still love them, right? At the end of the day. Now, you may not like them, okay? But you'll love them, right? And so, the storge love, and you can have this kind of love, not just for your kids, but it's a good example. It's kind of like that coach, uh, mentor, mentoree kind of a love, okay? Where um, you love that person, you want to see them develop and grow. 
The last kind of love is the agape love. Now, this love, agape, is actually the love in this verse. Okay, It's the God love. It's the unconditional love that never fails. It's the prodigal son love. Okay, Where the, 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 the father probably really didn't like his son, but he loved his son and wanted everything, you know, or he wanted his son to come back. That was everything to him, right? And so this kind of love, the unconditional love, is the serving, is the giving love, okay? And this, here's what happens over time. You fall in love with someone, right? You get married, and then the tough times happen. You have kids, right? Or the bills come in, and you don't have money to pay the bills. Because I think we've all been there, right? We've all done that, unfortunately. And then times get tough. Times get rough. And then you're not feeling that eros, that romantic love anymore. But guess what? If you tap in in your marriage, if you tap into the agape love, you're going to succeed. You're going to find yourself 45 years later still married and no divorce. Okay? And maybe you've been through a marriage and a divorce. Agape love. That's how you've got to look at it. And sometimes you don't feel like you love that person. That's when you need to show love the most. When you don't feel like loving. Okay? Because loving is true loving. God loving is giving. And think about how far this goes. This goes all the way to giving your life. Right? Because Jesus gave his own life. That's unconditional love when you would give your life for somebody till death do, does us part. Okay? Not till the feelings part over time. It's also important to teach others to love. Going back to the Deuteronomy verse. The Deuteronomy scripture even starts off with love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Okay? Jesus takes it a step further in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37, 40. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he goes on and says, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Right? Love. Unconditional. Agape. Love. By the way, just to let you know, in the Bible, when you read love, most of the time, I think it's like almost every time, but two or three times, it is the agape love when you read about love in the Bible. The unconditional love. You don't see eros love in there. You see phileo, phileo love a few times. I don't even think you see storge love, if I remember rightly. Paul himself said in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. So again, love starts as that eros, romantic love, and it ends sometimes in that agape love. And I'm sure um, if I've talked in 45 years or anyone else has been married just as long or longer, I'm sure that uh, the feelings do come but then they go, right? And I asked my parents last night, I'm not going to share anything, but I asked them, it's like, were you ever to that point where you're just saying, it's not going to work out? Because I think every marriage gets there at some point or another, right? And then you just got to get through it. You got to get through that time. And you got to go into that unconditional love. Number three, God has given us a spirit of self-discipline. Now, this is a, this is really cool too. And, Again, this is why it's so extremely important to go back into the language. 
of the New Testament or the Old Testament if you're in the Old Testament. The Greek word here is sophronismos. I don't know if I said that right or not, but I'm going to pretend I did. Okay? Sophronismos means intellectually sound, rational without illusion, purposeful, prudent, modest, restrained, and disciplined. So let me explain this. When we look at discipline, we always want to change the actions of somebody. We always want to say, hey, you stop doing that. And in kids ministry, I've been in kids ministry for 15 years. Okay, so I've done this for a little while in kids ministry. At the beginning, you know, you're like, stop that. What are you doing? You know, guess what? You're trying to change the actions. This word is the only time this um, sophronismus is mentioned in the New Testament. This is the only time this word is in the Bible ever. And what it literally means, the Greek, is changing the mind first to change the actions. Because you can't change actions until a mindset or until a heart is changed. Okay? Because you can tell someone to do something all day long, right? You can tell yourself to do something all day long. For example, I can, you know, tell myself if I get up early in the morning and I exercise, I'm going to feel better in my life, right? But you know what? I like to sleep in. And I like to eat ice cream and pizza. Okay? Well, you know what? I, I kind of know I'm supposed to, but it hasn't really sunk into my heart. In my mind, my heart connection hasn't really connected to where I'm going to change my actions. Because I know what I should do. I know I should work out three times a week, but it doesn't always happen, right? So that's a, that's a, you know, that's how we discipline a lot of times is we try to change the actions of our children. We're trying to change the actions of someone around us. And we can barely try, we can barely change ourselves, right? We have to change the thinking first. Now going back into love, you have to catch the heart. Because you can't do it without catching someone's heart first, right? So the first part of this word, so, so, I gotta look at it again. Sophronismus. So, sozo means to save and friend the last part of this word, this word is coming, comes from, actually means thinking. So it means to save the thinking. Because if you save your thinking, you'll change your actions. Right? And of course, we know we can't save our own thinking. Only Jesus can. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we must use love to touch the heart of those we want to see changes in. And again, it's all about connection. It's all about relationship. Going back to love. God loves us because why? He wants to have a relationship with us. He wants to know us on a personal level. The old saying goes, it's true, no one cares about how much you know until they know how much you care. You have to catch the heart first. You have to catch your kid's heart. You have to catch your, your grandkid's heart. You have to catch your, you know, those who you're discipling, their heart, Right? Because it's not just, again, it starts at home. It starts with our kids, our grandkids. It starts in our community, right? It starts there, and it, and it goes out. And we need to catch the heart of those that we know that are around us, okay? Because we could always wear that billboard sign, right, and go and preach Jesus on the streets, and no one's going to care, right? But you know what? If we're in our workplace making a connection, a relationship with someone, and then 
you know, casually tell them, yeah, the reason I, the reason I care about you and I love you is because I love Jesus. And you know what? I go to an awesome church. I love my church. Let me tell you about my church. We're people who care. We're people who really care. And we care about you. We care about where you are in your life. And we care about your family. We care about you. And yes, we're all screwed up. We're all messed up. It's okay. You know, the church won't fall down if you walk into it. Right? The roof won't fall down. No, we'll be happier here and God will be too. Lectures don't typically work with people. Getting them to come up with the answers themselves, that's typically what happens. That's why in, in coaching today, when you, um, you know, those of you who have, you know, maybe you've looked at coaching or how you coach people. Coaching is asking questions today. It's not about telling people answers. Because, you know, even me, I don't listen all the time. But when I come up with it on my own, I'm like, yeah, that was genius, right? And it could be something someone's been saying for years to me, right? So asking questions is about asking the right questions, too. Getting people to think for those things. Romans 12, 2 says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good Pleasing and perfect will. Our mind's hearts must be transformed first. Then actions will follow. We can't control anyone, right? We can barely control ourselves. I know we can control ourselves, right? I can. But we can only, we can control ourselves. God has given each one of us a free will. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Proverbs 4.23, you don't have to turn there, but it says, Above all else, guard the heart. Above all else, guard the heart. I want to leave this. Um, I want to leave this with uh, a, uh, two stories actually that I stumbled across a few years ago, <clears throat> and I really feel like these stories kind of capture this heart. What I'm talking about this morning. Many years ago, and I have to read it by the way, where I won't get the story right. Many years ago, Al Capone virtually owned Chicago. Anybody ever hear of Al Capone? Notorious gangster, mobster, right? You're like, how is he going to preach a sermon and talk Al Capone? I know. I'll get there. Okay? It connects. Pastor Mark will be back soon. Don't worry. Okay? You'll be like, where did this guy come from? (laughs) Capone wasn't famous for anything heroic. He was notorious for enmeshing the Windy City in everything from bootleg booze and prostitution to murder. Capone had a lawyer. And his lawyer's name, they call him Easy Eddie or Fast Eddie. Easy Eddie was Capone's lawyer, and for a good reason. He was very good. In fact, his skill at legal maneuvering kept Big Al out of jail for a very long time. We probably wouldn't have heard, we wouldn't know who Al Capone is without this lawyer, right? Y'all know, well, never mind, I'm not going to get there. We have lawyers in the house, so I better keep my mouth shut. To show his appreciation, Capone paid him very well. Not only when the money was big, or not only was the money big, but Eddie got special dividends. For instance, he and his family occupied a fenced-in mansion with live and help, all of the conveniences of the day. The estate was so large that it filled an entire Chicago city block. Yes, Easy Eddie lived the high life of the Chicago mob. And gave a little consideration to the atrocity that went on around him. He didn't care. He was making good money. 
big bucks. He was Al Capone's right-hand man, keeping Al Capone out of trouble. Eddie did have one soft spot, though. He had a son that he loved dearly. Eddie saw to it that his son had the best of everything, clothes, cars, and a good education. Nothing was withheld. Price was no object. And despite his involvement with organized crime, Eddie even tried to teach him right from wrong. I'm sure it didn't work very well for him, but I'm sure he tried. Yes, Eddie tried to teach his son to rise above his own, his own sorry life. He wanted him to be a better man than he was. Yet all his wealth and influence, there were two things that Eddie couldn't give his son. Two things that Eddie sacrificed to the Capone mob that he could not pass on to his beloved son. One was a good name and one was a good example. One day, Easy Eddie reached a difficult decision in his life. Offering his son a good name was far more important than all the riches he could lavish on him. Isn't that what we find out? We, again, we can gain the whole world if we can lose our soul. Or we can lose our family's soul. And so we started seeing this. Okay? He had to rectify all the wrong that he had done. He would go to the authorities and tell them the truth about the scar-faced Al Capone. He would try to clean up his tarnished name and offer his son some semblance of integrity. To do this, he must testify against the mob. You all know what happens when you testify against the mob. And he knew that would cost him great. But more than anything, he wanted to be a good example to his son. He wanted to do his best to make restoration and hopefully have a good name to leave his son. So he testified within the year. Easy Eddie's life ended in a blaze of gunfire on a lonely Chicago street. He had given his son the greatest life he had to offer at the greatest price he would ever pay. Police removed from his pockets a rosary, a crucifix, a religious medallion, and a poem clipped from a magazine. And that poem read this. said, The clock of life is wound but once, and no man has the power to tell just what, when the hands will stop a late or early hour. Now is the only time you own. Live, love, toil with a will. Place no faith in time, for the clock may soon be still. Let me tell you another story here, okay? That is a war story. I like war stories. World War II produced many heroes. One such man was Lieutenant Commander Butch O'Hare. He was a fighter pilot assigned to an aircraft carrier, the Lexington, in the South Pacific. One day, his entire squadron was sent on a mission. After he was airborne, he looked at his fuel gauge and realized that someone had forgotten to top off his fuel tank. He would not have enough fuel to complete his mission and get back to his ship. His fight leader told him to return to the carrier. Reluctantly, he dropped out of formation and headed back to the fleet. As he was returning to the mothership, he saw something that turned his blood cold. A squadron of Japanese bombers was speeding their way toward the American fleet. The American fighters were gone on a sortie, and the fleet was all but defenseless. He couldn't reach a squadron and bring them back in time to save the fleet, nor could he warn the fleet of the approaching danger. There was only one thing he could do. He must somehow divert them from the fleet. Laying aside all thoughts of personal safety, he 
dived into the formation of Japanese planes. Wing-mounted, 50 calibers blazed as he charged in, attacking one surprised enemy plane and then another. Butch, weaving in and out of the now-broken formation, fired as, as many planes as possible until finally all of his ammunition was spent. Undaunted, he continued the assault. He dove at the planes, trying to at least clip off a wing or a tail in hopes of damaging as many enemy planes as possible and rendering them unfit to fly. He was desperate to do anything he could to keep them from reaching the American ships. Finally, the exasperated Japanese squadron took off to another direction. Deeply relieved, Butch O'Hare and his tattered fighter limped back to the carrier. Upon arriving, he reported in and related the event surrounding his return. The film from the cameras mounted on his plane told the tale. It showed the extent of Butch's daring attempt to protect his fleet. He had destroyed five enemy bombers. That was on February 20th, 1942. And for that action, he became the Navy's first ace of World War II and the first naval aviator to win the Congressional Medal of Honor. A year later, he was killed in aerial combat at the age of 29. His hometown would not allow the memory of that heroic action to die. And today, O'Hare Airport in Chicago is named in tribute to this courageous man that did such a heroic act. So the next time you are at O'Hare, visit his memorial with his statue and Medal of Honor. It's located between Terminals 1 and Terminal 2. Now you wonder what these two stories have in common, right? You're like, why did you talk about Al Capone's boss or, uh, or not boss, but Al Capone's lawyer and, and, and uh, this heroic um, Butch O'Hare uh, war hero. Well, it's like this. Easy Eddie, the crooked man who paid for his life okay, from a Chicago mobster, was the father of Butch O'Hare okay, who sacrificed his life in war. So you know what? He did end up giving his son a good name and a good reputation and now we go to the, you know, everybody knows O'Hare all up throughout the world. You know, everybody knows O'Hare Airport in Chicago, right? But we don't know that it's named after this man who died at 29 years old. And in fact, the, uh, uh, Franklin Roosevelt called this man one of the greatest heroes of World War II even. And uh, he was one of the first Congressional um, Medal Award winners uh, to receive this honor. And of course, uh, his father paid the ultimate price, paid the price with his life. In fact, another story that I was reading, um, one of the reasons he gave the testimony was he was trying to get his son into uh, the school in Annapolis to get him into military school so his son would have a good name. Okay, So his son did some great things because his father paid the ultimate price. And the reason I want to tell the story is because Easy Eddie, he had power. He had power, kind of like Alfred Nobel. He had power, but he realized at the end of his life that his power was wrong. He was putting his power in the wrong way. But he still made the decision to, to use his power for good at the end, to give his son a good name, to turn in one of the worst mobsters ever. And, and Al Capone would spend 11 years in prison because, because of the testimony of what this lawyer gave, gave his life for it. So he used his power and he loved, okay, this man loved his son so much that he paid, gave his, his life for it. Guess what? I know someone else who gave his life, his son's life for us. God did, right? God gave his own son for us because he loves us. 
And you know what? It takes a lot of self-discipline to do something, especially that you know is going to end your life probably, right? When you love your life, right? But you know what? Both situations, you know, they didn't love their life enough to hold it back from doing the right thing, okay? And Jesus had the power. He had the power to stop. He had the power to call down angels to rescue him from off the cross. But he knew that we couldn't be saved. He knew that we couldn't have a personal relationship with him, a personal relationship with God if he called down and he used his power, right? And that's something I want you to understand is power is good. Power, Pentecostal power is good. Christian power is good. But when that power is used without love, it gets distorted. It gets wrong. Power should always be used in love. When I say love, I mean the unconditional, agape love, the giving love, okay, that God desires to give to us. And then self-discipline, of course. Again, it's not just self-discipline. It's the changing of a heart and changing of a mind where your actions change. Because again, you can... Try to be self-disciplined to exercise or self-disciplined to do something. But until you really get it into your heart, until you really get it into your soul, into your mind, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. I want to leave you with seven, real quick, seven practical ways, because I like practical things. Seven practical ways to impress God's word upon your children. When I say children, please don't think it's just those parents with kids. It is everyone. It is grandchildren. It is those you are discipling. It is those that you're ministering to. It may be those, you know, that you're working with, your coworkers. And trust me, I've had a lot of, you know, uh, secular jobs in my life. I understand, you know, you hear cussing day in and day out and all kinds of language. Guess what? You know, you're a light in your workplace. You use these principles, all right? First of all, show the love of Christ. When I say the love of Christ, the agape, the unconditional serving love of Christ, the giving love to the point of death, right? Number two, reach the heart while eating together. I kind of struggled with this a little bit because I wanted to say it right. Reach the heart while eating together. Guess when we come together, we, sometimes the first of the month we do communion, right? It's because we eat together. Eating together is important. Let me get to eating together as a family. Eating together as a family is extremely important. I don't understand why in, in, in schools, I don't want to get off on the rabbit trail too much here, but I don't understand why in schools, schools don't make a bigger deal about this. Schools want your kids to be in, involved in everything and, every, you know, just everything. All the sports, you know, get them involved in four sports, get involved in the drama team, the this team, the basket weaving team, you know, all this stuff, Right? That they can do. And it's great to get your kids involved. So I don't want to, I don't want to say don't get your kids involved in school. My kids are in sports, but they're, I don't want them to be too involved in sports. Cause that's not gonna, you know, that's not gonna create something that typically one out of what, at three million, it's not gonna create a career, right? Typically. But even if it did, it doesn't really matter. Statistically speaking, families that eat together, okay? Mom, dad, whatever, you know, kids, they come together for a meal once a day on average. Okay, the kids in those homes do 20% better on their grades. Okay, that's what the research I was doing about eating together, how important it is for families to sit down and eat together. But you know what? When you're doing all these sports and all these functions, all this crazy stuff, you're not eating together. I know because I've done it. I've been there. You're going and watching Johnny, you know, do this and that. And, and again, it's, I'm not saying sports are bad. I'm not saying 
activities in the schools are bad. You've got to have a balance. Try to at least eat together once a day. And I know it can't happen every single day, but if it doesn't happen one day, make sure it happens the next day. Because guess what? All of a sudden, two days becomes three days, then becomes four days, becomes, and then it's like a week goes by. When's the last time we sat together and had a dinner as a family? Okay? It's not good if you um, let more than a day or two go without having sitting together, having um, a meal together. And guess what happens then? Conversation happens then. And younger children, younger children hear adults talking and they pick up the language. So their language skills, their vocabulary is heightened. So there's so many different reasons. I mean, I printed up all these reasons and I can't even go into it now. Healthier eating choices. Obviously, it's, it's cheaper and I'm all about being frugal. So, but there's all kinds of reasons to eat together as a family. Reach their heart. You know what? Come together with other families and eat together with families. Okay? Come together with families in the church. Invite your neighbors to come together. Pastor Mark had a grill up here a few weeks ago, right? And he was talking about the importance of grilling out and having neighbors over. Yes, do that. Show your kids that you do that, that you're serving other people. Ask the right questions. I kind of talked about that. It's a coaching process, right? We want to tell our kids what they did, right, when they're wrong so quickly. Ask questions. Well, how'd that go for you? How'd that turn out for you, right? Don't be so quick to condemn. Be quicker to ask some questions. And be there. Instead of, instead of being, oh, I can't believe you did that. That's, that's my first. I can't believe you did that, son, right? Uh, no, how'd that go? Let me give you a hug, right? Show them that you're there for them and that you care for them. Be involved as a family in church. So I had a parent um, um, ask Pastor Mark a few weeks ago, hey, can we serve in the nursery, you know, together with my daughter and me, you know? And, and Pastor Mark, yes, of course. How awesome is that? Serve in kids' ministry when your kids are that age. Serve in youth ministry when your kids are in youth ministry, right? Serve as an usher or a greeter. Your kids will see how important the church is to you. And guess what? They're going to want to serve with you and let them serve alongside you, okay? My son is probably better with computers now than I am. And uh, it's because... He was always there. And we're like, hey, Sam, we need someone on the computer. Help us out. And he'd go and, you know, he'd help us out. Right? And so it develops special abilities in your kids. But they see the importance of the church. Right? Use home point, faith path. We have a whole discipleship process here at Portview. It's awesome. It's awesome. In fact, what's cool is Pastor Paul walked me through that whole process um, right when it came out. I think it was like, a month or two old when he walked me through it um, and showed me. I'm like, man, this is awesome. This is amazing. This is a great process. Take advantage of it. Okay, We make sure it gets replenished. We make sure the pamphlets are there. But, you know, definitely check it out and pull the pamphlets. Take the uh, recipe cards, okay, to use for my next point, which is have family Devo time together, right? Have family Devo time, right? And I'm, again, I'm a pastor and I failed this many times. And I'm like, oh man, a whole week's gone. We gotta have family Devo time. Take the recipe cards from Home Point Faith Path and go through them with your family, with your kids. And of course, my last one is the most, probably the most important one. Demonstrate healthy walk with God. Demonstrate a healthy walk with God. I know my daughter, my oldest daughter, I remember her saying, I wanna see mom and dad reading their Bibles more. How cool is that? Right? I remember, um, when I was young, coming downstairs for breakfast, and my dad would have his Bible open, reading the scriptures. 
My dad's never been in ministry, full-time ministry, but he's always been in business. And I remember he's always made decisions, okay, based upon the Bible. In business, sometimes they want you to do crooked things. And he's always come, he always came back to the Bible and said, how can I, you know, practice my business in a biblical manner? And me seeing him read the Bible in front of me on accident was probably one of the best things he could have done. Walk with God yourself. Demonstrate your walk with God on your own. And your kids will see that. Right? But if you just lecture about it, right? Because we're good at lectures as parents, as grandparents. They, they probably won't pick it up. But if you do it, they will. All right, I've, I've said a lot. And, uh, you know, again, thank you so much for listening to me. I want to, um, team, if you could come on up. And I want to end in a time of, of prayer right now. And again, I don't, you know, know where you are, where you're at. You know, you may say, you know what, my grandkids are raised and are out of the house. God's not done with you. If you've got a heart that's beating, if you are breathing, God ain't done with you. He still has called us, called you to be a discipler. He's called you to mentor other people, right? It may not be kids, it may be adults. In fact, the older you get, the more, the more, um, the more, Leverage you have with people, right? Because the older you are, the more you can speak into, you know, other people's lives that are younger than you, right? You can speak into kids' lives. Trust me, I don't care how old you are, you know, we'll take in kids' ministry, right? Because kids like older people a lot, a lot of times. And kids like younger people too. Kids like to see you serving. That's why I love having this, the merge students coming in and pouring in to our kids. Because it does, it does two things. It helps our merge students see the importance of serving. And it helps them have a sense of responsibility. But at the same time, it shows our kids, our young kids, like, hey, guess what? There's teenagers that love Jesus. You can love Jesus when you're a teenager. Right? Amen. Amen. I want to leave with, uh, before our, uh, we pray, I just want to leave with one more scripture verse. I've got to find it here. And that's uh, scripture verses John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. Lord, we thank you so much, God, for your presence. We thank you so much, God, for your peace, Lord. We thank you, God, that you've called all of us to pour into others, God. And there's people that want to pour into us as well. But God, first of all, you have poured into us. You have given us your word. You have given us so much, God. You have given us the freedom to be able to even worship you here in America and serve you openly. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much, God, for that. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.